But there's been a lot of really strange stuff, um, a lot of different causes uh, this weekend. It's, it's uh, Earth Day weekend, right? Earth Day going on, right? Uh, you see a lot of people uh, picking up trash and everything. Uh, certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, and then uh, what else did we have going on? Um, oh, there was a March for Science. And uh, yeah, excuse that right there. Um, uh, what else did we have? Okay, so we were downtown. And uh, we were showing a friend around Pier 39 and uh, thinking about causes here. Uh, we're walking down that main strip. What's that main road? What's that? Yeah, 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 I know that. I know that. Um, so we're walking down, and sure enough, one of the other great causes apparently in this uh, the city of ours is World Naked Bike Day. I'm like only in San Francisco, so we're kind of walking around, you know, doing the tourist thing, showing a friend uh, from Sacramento about this amazing city that she should definitely move to, and, and uh, all of a sudden, I hear these people screaming, <laughs> and uh, you know, you, you swing over, and you look over, and there it is, 30 naked bikers, and the, this has nothing to do with my sermon, I just, I'm filling you in uh, on my week, and uh, you know, everybody's got black eyes in my family now, because I was like, you know, nobody look, get in the stores, get in the stores like that, and, and uh, look at the tourist stuff, buy a t-shirt or something, just don't look out there, and, and sure enough, I hear this guy go, oh, disgusting, look, you know, and you're like, nah, it doesn't work that way, it was disgusting, don't look, but it was just like a weekend of causes, like that's, that was my thing that I, I saw, not even just in San Francisco, but but uh, all over the nation, there's these causes. And if you think about it, guys, what does this tell you about humans? <laughs> yeah, let's just give it up right there. This, this is going to be a fun sermon, I can already tell. This is, I get myself in trouble asking for uh, you to, to be a part of my sermons, don't I? Um, yeah, yeah, part of humanity is definitely nasty. And uh, if you do a naked bike ride, you have to be in shape at least. You know, it's got to, let's have some rules to this. But it's amazing with all the causes that we're all involved with, uh, or people in general, it, it really tells you what's going on in the human psyche, like what, what's, what's going on in human beings. Human beings want to make a difference. Human beings want to be a part of change. Um, that's one of the attractions of moving to San Francisco, especially for millennials and so forth, is, is being a part of something that matters. It's really getting your hands dirty, getting your hands on something and making a change. Now, as I'm looking at all of these, uh, these different causes and these groups, you know, picking up trash and naked bike riding and all this other crazy stuff going on, I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm a Christian and I pastor a church, you know, what is our cause? Like, where are we at in this thing? Uh, because apparently, according to Jesus, like, we have the biggest cause. Like, you can pick up trash all day long or whatever, you know, they, these aren't bad things. But at the same time, we are supposed to be involved in the biggest cause. It, it tells us that we're made for something more. That there's a hunger inside of human beings. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, what, however you view these causes and, and, and however you see, you know, how people spend their time and, and these types of things and if they're really generating change or not, it really hit me this week, you guys, and I want you to get this, that, that man, the human, the human life can be so beautiful. It's so driven. It's so desirous to make things new and beautiful. And if we could just gear it right, if we could just push it in the right cause, man, the, the power that, that could come from human life. 
And so wrapping that into a church, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're visiting, or you're not even a Christian, man, we are supposed to be involved in the biggest, most powerful cause. And if you're a part of Bethel, the very essence of what it means to belong to this church is to belong to a cause, a movement, a movement moving outward into human life and doing something in this city. But it's hard. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grinding away thinking about this. Why is it so hard if we're built for a cause? We, we know we want to make a difference, even those who are Christians. We know the cause is the glory of God and seeing other people come to Christ. Why is it so hard to get focused on a true and powerful cause? And, and here's what I come up with, even looking at my own life, because it's really hard getting out of your own way. The biggest cause becomes me. And I'm not saying we shouldn't focus on school or, or shouldn't focus on, uh, you know, grandkids and all that good stuff. I'm not saying that at all. There are certain causes that we need to focus on that have to do with us and us developing our own life. But, you know, there's this grand world out there and there's this amazing city around us. And we have this drive in us, this red hot feeling inside of us that, that wants to do something huge and make a difference. And yet the greatest cause that keeps intercepting and interrupting is the cause of us. And it's like, what if we could find a way to break free of that and not focus on us so much, but really get focused on how we can change human life in the name of Jesus Christ? And again, it's, it's so natural to begin to focus on building a certain life for ourselves. And uh, I'll just narrow it down, and this isn't a shot at anybody. This is to get us to think about the science of us. Like, why do we tick the way we tick? It's natural to spend tremendous time building up a career, is it? Nothing wrong with that, but the, the amount of time that that consumes, it, it's, it's very natural to, to, to rise up around this cause of finances. You know, it's hard enough just to pay rent in the city, right? And so we think, well, how can we make enough money and, and how can we put away enough money? And then by the time Friday comes, like, you're so wiped out trying to figure out how to keep yourself above ground that you need to go away for the weekend and rest, right? <laughs> and like before we know it, like so much time is wrapped around us. And I want to even develop that a little bit further. It's not just that we're focused on us. What's weird is that we're focused by force on us and material things. It's like survival. I don't know where these studies come from, but uh, I read this week in uh, uh, an article a psychologist had written that 50% of your waking time, you're thinking about material things, wealth, where money's going to come from, what you're going to buy next. 50% of our lives. That's heavy. And yet there's a city out there there's humans out there. There's Jesus Christ. There's the return of Jesus Christ. There's the brevity of life. There's the breath of life. This thing goes by this fast. 50% of my life, I'm, I am wrestling with the idea of finances or material things. And if you think about all that you have and all that I have, all that we work for, if I could just stop, and if you're retired, all that you worked for... What was it all for? You know, that's the weird thing about life. Like, it's so fast. It's so fast, and we got to keep up so quickly by trying to find out how to make more money and get new jobs and, you know, building on that master's degree. And these things aren't wrong, 
But then if you, if you even have enough time to slow down just for a moment and say, why are we doing all this? Hurry, worry, bury. It's like, what, what is this about? Like, if you have a large bank account, praise Jesus. Let's talk after church. <clears throat> I got some radical ideas um, that you can invest in. But uh, if you have a big bank account or, or you, are, you are really trying to advance financially in life, you know, if we just stop long enough and say, why? What is that for? You say, well, it's to eat. Okay, I get that. But beyond that, what is our connection to the material world? And so as I'm wrestling through all the causes in the city going on and the cause of Christ and how much my cause for Christ gets derailed and yours does by this, this focus on material things in this world and our pursuit for them, I, 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 thought, I thought this is kind of the next step. What does Jesus want to say to me about all this? Do you know Jesus replicated a homeless man? And this is not like to throw a vow of poverty on us. There's a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of wealth. God uses that greatly. But, but it kind of, it, it, it fooled with my head. Like, if we met Paul the Apostle today, we'd be like, dude, you need a job. You're like, where's your, what's up with your 401K? And there's nothing wrong with that. But these guys, had to, and obviously this is a different age, right? They were in the first century and all that. But I really begin to, to bring this timeless idea of this timeless Savior that seems to haunt us with liberating joy who keeps telling me these messages of John, rethink it. What, what is this pursuit for the material world all about? What do I have to say about it, John? And what is it doing to you? And really, this is what the cross deals with. The cross is designed, accepting Jesus as our Savior, becoming Christian people, is designed to take a scenario like that, my pursuit for wealth, whether it's for identity or security or maybe I'm just looking for a cause or or, or worry or whatever it is. The cross of Jesus Christ is designed to take a situation like that and say, now, wait a minute. I'm going to take you and I'm going to take material things. I'm going to take wealth and finances and master's degrees and careers and colleges and and rent that is way too high in this city and new cars and clothes and savings accounts and vacations. Jesus says, my cross is designed to take that thing and everything you've heard about it, I'm going to turn not upside down. I'm going to turn right side up. I'm going to tweak your mind. We're going to do 90 on the freeway, Jesus says, and then I'm going to kick it in reverse. And gears are going to grind out. But that's what we need. We need gears to grind out so we don't use them anymore. And so I'm like, Jesus, what do you have to say to us today in this city, this incredibly wealthy city, about about wealth? We talk about this series, Follow Me. Like, what does it look like to follow Jesus in light of the material world? There's a thousand layers to this. This could be a four-week series if we wanted to because there's a thousand layers to this. But I want you to understand just for today that this is the design of the gospel. This is the design of becoming a Christian is making these things right, giving us a new worldview, giving us new thoughts on our relationship to the material world. What a, what a dangerous sermon to preach in San Francisco. Amazing stuff, isn't it? You think about what becoming a Christian is or does. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you gain a new relationship with God, yeah? Yeah, plenty of amen moments going on right here, so get excited out there. It's it's fantastic. 
you get a new relationship with God. My relationship with God is fractured and destroyed because of this, this, this Christian word we call sin. Uh, we fall short of God's design. God says, don't lie. God says, don't steal. God says, do all things to show that I'm beautiful. And we fall short of those things. And God says, because I'm perfect and you fall short of my perfect standard, I'm forced to push you away. So my relationship with God is, is destroyed. But God is love and he, he, he has this plan to deal with that thing we call sin. Everything we have fallen short of, God has a remedy. He has a way of wiping it away so we can have a relationship with, with him again. It's what we call the gospel. It's the good news. It's good news. It's good news that this thing can be fixed and we can have a relationship with God again and find joy in that. And it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth, the Son of God, and he lived the life I would never live. He never fell short of God's standard. He never failed God. And he says, look, John, if you'll trust me, if you'll put your faith in me, everything I've done on this earth, totally perfect, I will pass that to your record. So when God looks at you, he'll see my, perf my perfect life right there. And then he's like, if that's not good enough, John, here's, here's the other thing I'll do. Because everything that you've done to fall short of God, man, God is forced to deal with that still. He's just. And someone's going to have to pay for what you've done. But God in his love says, John, you don't have to pay for it. My son, Jesus Christ, will go on that cross and he'll pay for your sins as well. And Jesus dies on the cross and he rises from the dead. That's our Easter. He goes back to heaven. And he makes this way for me just through faith, not through anything good or no, no religious activity, but simply through faith. It is by faith that you are saved, through grace. It is not of yourself, lest I would boast that I'm good enough to be loved by God. It is the gift of God. And I had this crazy day when I walked into a church all jacked up at 20 years old, and I had never been in a church in my life uh, in the right way. And uh, I remember hearing a pastor tell me this right there, and it, it was the most alarming, most beautiful thing that just by believing in Jesus and coming to him for the forgiveness of sins that you can have a relationship with God and be loved again. I'm a pastor now. It's just crazy. That's the love of God. So this thing we call the gospel, the, the thing we call the cross, first and foremost, it builds this new relationship with, with God. But it's not just that. It, it creates a new enlightenment. Everybody in San Francisco wants to be enlightened. Man, I've been enlightened. I've been awakened. The Holy Spirit comes upon a new person who accepts Jesus as their Savior, and their minds and hearts are awakened to understand things in this book, like new things. That's why we say we're born again. Like we get to start over and learn everything fresh. How do we, yeah, it's beautiful. Like, I'm like... <laughs> Marriage in my family doesn't go too well, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, God, I'm married now. I'm a new believer. Like, teach me how to be married. And he's like, yeah, I've awakened you. You can understand these things now. I'm going to teach you how to be married. I'm going to teach you how to love. I'm going I'm to teach you how to deal with enemies a whole lot different than you used to. I'm going to teach you brand new how to deal with anxiety. Oh, John, I want to I raise you, God says. John, I want to raise you and teach you how to deal with your pride. And he goes like this, John, don't sweat it. You're not on your own. Yeah, you have a relationship with me, and I've enlightened your mind to understand my ways, but I put you in a community called a church 
where you're going to do it with, with a group of people who are just like you. And I'm like, man, this Christian thing is the greatest thing on the earth. And then I'm going to give you a new truth, John. I'm going to give you a book. And I'm going to give you my spirit, and he's going to teach you truth. And the more you learn truth, the more it's going to awaken affection. Like, I love living this out. I love it. It's creating peace in my life. The more you, you learn it, the more I'm going to awaken more affection. The more you're going to learn, the more you're going to change. You're going to become like my son, God says. That's what uh, Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says. Bethel, let the word of Christ, the book, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly like Eat it and drink it. Like, put the book in your mind and your heart. Learn it, hear it preach, talk to your friends about it. Let's speak about Scripture. He goes like this. Do it in a community. Gather. Like, don't miss this thing. Gather and hear the word of the Lord, teaching and admonishing one another. Like, through preaching and praying and song, we're teaching each other the ways of God. In all wisdom, like, God's wisdom is poured out on us when we gather through the word of God. He goes like this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I love it. The power of music to teach us. And by the way, let me teach you a little something about music because I'm a musician. I'm not a musician, but I'm going to teach you something about music. We talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2. Some of you need to listen to this. All of you need to listen to this. We talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the idea of repetition. How do you change? You take scripture and you work it in your mind over and over and over and over and over and over until it becomes a habit, until you begin to believe it, until it begins to become a response in you. Do you know what the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels in heaven are saying in heaven right now? Over and over and over and over and over. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God. So when we play music and we create repetition, we're, we're renewing your minds. That's the power of repetition. So he says, sing, come and assemble and sing. And he says in verse 17, and whatever you do, here's what, here's, here's what will happen if we gather and hear the word and sing about Jesus and renew our minds with truth. Whatever you do in word or deed, You'll begin to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like, you'll, you'll begin to do, to do everything that reflects the ways of Jesus. And, man, the heart will be so full of God that we'll give thanks to God the Father. Like, man, God, you're, you're changing us. It's so good. And I, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart that I believe that Jesus wants to use every single person in this room in incredible ways. And when I think about wealth, I think about all this stuff. Jesus wants to reteach us. He wants to say, hey, hey, where you're at, whether you're rich or you don't have a lot, I want to blow your mind by using what little you have or the mass amounts you have. I want to use you in ways that you've never dreamed to change human life. Teach us, Lord Jesus, what to do with this material world. So here's my question to myself. I wrote this down after a crazy, naked Earth Day weekend. What if, what if we could do this? Because the problem with wealth is it creates immense pressure. If you have it, you're under pressure. If you don't have it, you're under pressure. What if we could take wealth? What if we could take the pressure of career, the pursuit of wealth, the stockpiling of stuff, 
and let Jesus transform all of it into a cause that truly made you feel alive. I mean, what if Jesus would do that today? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to work through two things. I'm going to show you the danger of material things. The danger of material things. Then I want to show you how Jesus wants to flip it on its head and show you a new way to use material things to make you feel alive and involved in a cause like you've never dreamed. You ready? Say ready. All right, here we go. Write these down. These are two points that we're going to work through. Let me first of all show you what Jesus says about the problem. We'll call it the problem with possessions. The problem with possessions. Because some of you are like, I don't have wealth, so this sermon doesn't involve me. Okay, the problem with possessions. The problem with possessions. And by the way, what's weird is, um, it's interesting studying millennials. You can really see things shift in uh, the way that the culture is working. So we went from this hoarding idea to this new, uh, this new idea that's beginning to, to pick up steam. There's a documentary on Netflix about this, and it's minimalizing your life. The new thing is having as little as possible because it creates a new freedom. And some of you are like, whoa, I didn't know that. I'm in the, I'm in the know. This is awesome. I don't have anything. That's fantastic. And here's what's happening even in the secular world. Um, we're realizing what possessions do to us. We're realizing what possessions do to us. Now, if, again, if you have a lot, this isn't to guilt you. God has gifted you with a lot. I want to show you how God wants to use it. Um, if you have a mattress on the floor, you're not doing as bad as you think. Matthew 6, 19. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus uses this time with his followers to teach them teach them through all kinds of practical ideas and saying, you were taught this way about this. You were taught this way about sex, money, children, uh, religion, self-righteousness, humility, fasting, praying. You were taught all about that by religious people and culture. Come over here. Gather around me. I'm going to go through everything you've been taught, and I'm going to reteach you how God designed it, and it's going to blow your mind. And so where we find ourselves in 619 is money is possessions, wealth. Jesus goes like this, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. And that's like so antithetical to everything in our world. Like, what did you just say, Jesus? What does that mean about my bank account? <laughs> like, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Let me read that again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What's that all about? Now, I want you to underline treasures if you have a Bible. If you have a pew Bible, do not underline treasures. But I want you to cue up on the word treasure. And that's where the problem lies. Jesus isn't saying don't have stuff. He's saying don't treasure stuff. Big difference. A treasure, think about what a treasure is. Uh, a treasure is something, I don't know, we hold tightly because we value it. We don't want... We don't want anything to take this treasure from us. And I want you to think about right now what you treasure. Um, some of you treasure kids or grandkids. But I want, I want you to think about possessions. Do you treasure possessions? Is it wrong to treasure things? Well, no, it's not, it is not wrong to treasure things. It's, it's really a part of being human. Um, if you were to take uh, someone off on the street, we spend a lot of time, uh, my wife and I, ministering to people on the streets, and every one of them has something they treasure. They have almost nothing. But all of them have something that they hold close to their heart. We have a friend who lives on the streets, and he has a Bible. He has a Bible that it's his treasure. We have another friend who pushes a cart, and it's, it's full of stuff. 
he protects that as his treasure. It's, there's something human about holding on to these things. So no, it's not, it's not wrong to treasure things. But look at what he says in 619. Do not lay up. There it is. Don't lay up treasures for yourselves. Uh, don't stack up treasure for yourselves. This is where it gets messy. This is where it gets crazy in our worlds. Why do we stack up material things? And maybe you don't. I don't know where you're at in life. But why do we stack up? Uh, this would be a cruel joke if we talked about our garages, if you have a garage. All right, we're doing, we're doing better. We've gotten rid of most of our stuff in our garage. But why do we stack up things? Um, do some thinking with me here. Why do we stack up in our bank account? I'm not saying it's wrong. Why do we do it? Okay, here we go. Now we're thinking. Why do we stack up clothes? We've got a new thing in our house. It's a six-month drill. If we're not wearing it, it's out. All but my stuff. My wife hates this thing. No, I'm teasing. But think about it. Why do we, why do we have more than we need? Why do we do that? What, what's, what's going on in, in the mind there? Uh, again, this is where it gets real messy. This is where possessions and God have this great collision. Two reasons. You already said one. What did you say? Security. We stack up things. We stack up possessions. We stack up treasure for two reasons. I'm going to give you both of those. The first is security. It's security. By the way, that's just another form of faith. You're believing that those things are going to last forever, and they're going to bail you out. Is it wrong to have a bank account? No. Is it wrong to have retirement? No. Absolutely not. But if we put our faith in it, Jesus says, you better watch out. You better watch out. Um, one crazy episode that puts me in the emergency room, and that thing could be gone. So Jesus is like, don't stack up thinking it's going to save you. It's too fleeting. Security. Matthew 6, 19. Look at what he says. I love this. Do not lay up. Do not stack up. Do not overaccumulate for yourselves things that you think are so valuable. Why? Because moth and rust destroy those things and thieves break in and steal. So uh, you had clothing in the first century. You had coinage in the first century. Um, and those things would, would be buried in homes or they would be hidden in homes. And Jesus is like this, look, moths are going to get in there and eat those things away. Rust is going to get in there and begin to erode those things. And thieves, those, they're actually called mud diggers, like you break into the side of these clay houses. People would do that and they would steal your stuff at night. Nice. He's like, don't stack up because you think you're secure. You do not know how you're going to lose those things. You could, you could lose them just like that. And we saw that, what, 10 years ago, didn't we? A lot of us are still recovering from that. So we try to put our security in it, and Jesus says, be very careful about that. That's just another form of faith. You could either believe in me and that I love you and that I'm going to take care of you, or you could put your faith, just another form of faith, you could believe in those things that if things go bad, you could fall back on those things. Now, there's principles in the Bible, guys, don't get me wrong, that say, look, save, save, be wise, save those things. But ultimately, your faith to sustain you and hold you up for the rest of your days cannot be put on those things. Even though you're being wise and saving, you still have to believe in the God who loves you to sustain you through life. That's really hard to do. Flip over to 1 Timothy. We'll put it up on the, the LED. I love saying that. 
6.17, 1 Timothy 6.17, look at what Paul, who was an early church leader, look at what he writes. Check this out. You guys good out there? We're taking another offering at the end of the service. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 1 Timothy 6.17, check this out. I actually want you to be free to use your wealth and your material things to change human life out there. 1 Timothy 6.17, watch this. As for the rich in this present age, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, Timothy. Plead with them. Tell them. You're their pastor. Tell them not to be haughty. Now, don't let it get to their heads. Don't let them create identity around it, nor to set their hopes on. Now, watch what he, look what Paul calls riches. The uncertainty of riches. Like, it's so uncertain that if you put your life and falling back on them, it may not be there when you need it. And he goes like this, but believe that God is going to provide your daily needs even when things get crazy. Who richly, a new type of richness, provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything I need, God has promised to those who are in Christ that it will be there just enough in the, in the day that it's needed to keep me moving along. Believe and trust in that. Ecclesiastes 2. This, this is a sad verse right here. I've chuckled often. But check this out. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Um, Here's Solomon. He's a wealthy guy. And uh, Ecclesiastes is a bit of a rough book. He's not doing too well. And, and he comes to the end, and, and he comes up with this thought here. He goes like this, 218. Think about this. Now, he's a little bit of an older man now, and he's looking back on his life, and he goes like this. I hated all my toil. Like, I'm thinking about my career. I'm retired now. I'm looking back on my kingship, and I hate it. <laughs> Like, what's going on? He goes, in which I toil under the sun. Like, I work so hard to make this stuff, to get this stuff. And then he goes, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Like, what is that? Like, I work so hard to get all this stuff and accumulate all this stuff. And I hate it because when I die, I'm going to leave it to some young buck. Now, it gets worse. He goes like this in verse 19. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Who knows if he's going to blow it or not? I spent a whole lifetime getting all of this stuff, and now I'm going to leave it to my sons, and who knows if they're going to be done with it and blow the whole thing. Amazing stuff. So Jesus says, look, don't, don't stack up thinking that it's going to sustain you. Jesus in his love is going to sustain you. That's what, that's what he wants. Now, the other, the other problem with possessions is identity. Go back to Matthew 6. It's identity. And this is a big one. This is very Tim Keller-ish. Um, identity. You know, it's interesting what happens when you get stuff. You, you can't see my heart, so you can't value my heart. But you can see this. And if I create something here, I can get you to value me. I can get you to go, man, John, this guy's slick. He dresses like this and he leaves the price tags on. And he, uh, he drives up in this car, you know. And uh, he invites us over and he, you know, he likes to show a house. Now, I don't do any of this, but I'm just saying. But uh, if you think about it, that's the problem with possessions and identity. If, if I'm struggling to be valued and loved, possessions promise that I can have enough around me. I can put enough on. 
that I can trick you in thinking that I'm someone I'm not and you'll value me. But that's slavery. One, we don't need to care about each other at that level. We need, we need to know that Jesus loves us and we're good. Two, most of us can't accumulate enough exotic possessions to actually look amazing. Tricky thing being a human. Degrees. Uh, I've got degrees. I used to have them in my office and my wall. And I thought, why do I do that? Because I want someone to walk in and go, hmm, this guy's worth something. I want to be worth something because they know I, I love Jesus. You think about things like degrees. You think about things like cars. Are these wrong? No, no. But when they're used to feel valuable, man, a home, wealth, all these things give us a way to show people that we're somebody, but we're not. It's, it's all facade. It doesn't work. You need to be somebody without those things to be free because if you ever lose those things, do you know what you lose? You lose your identity. This happened to me with baseball growing up. I was, I was supposed to go pro. Like everything was like going that way and, and uh, I was Johnny Baseball. And I had this identity, like, you know, as long as I was wearing that baseball uniform, everyone, everyone would be around me. Everyone was marveling. Everyone would come to the games. Everyone would be like, man, where are you at now with this thing? And I mean, it was a beautiful thing, right? And then I had all these injuries, and, and all of a sudden, I, I had baseball no longer. And it was like my identity was gone, like overnight. I didn't know who I was. And it's like, man, I want an identity that nothing can take away and I don't have to actually work for. That's in Jesus. Like, Jesus loves me. That's enough. He accepts me. He's my greatest joy. Being with him is my greatest pleasure. I need nothing else but this, this Jesus Christ. I can never lose him, and I don't have to use anything to please you out here because I don't need your acceptance. I got his. Matthew 6, 22. Man, I just want you to be free. Matthew 6, 22. He go, and this is a really kind of twisted up verse, so I'll explain it. He goes like this. And this is cryptic Jesus for you. The eye is the lamp of the body. So he's trying to get people to understand, like, don't use possessions, material things. Don't stack them up so people will value you. And then he goes like this. The eye is the lamp of the body. You're like, huh? So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, don't think his followers had a clue what he was talking about. They didn't. They're looking at him like I am, like... What does that have to do with money? The eye, lights, what's happening right here? Jesus needs sleep. But when you break this down, it's amazing. Here's what Jesus is saying. If your eye doesn't work, if your eye doesn't take in light, if your eyes don't work, if they don't take in light, your whole body is in trouble. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're going to eat. You don't know when the enemy's coming. If, if your eyes are not taking in light so your body can understand how to respond to the things around it, in other words, your eyes affect the whole body. Jesus says that's like wealth. If you use wealth to try to find identity and value, it's going to mess your whole life up. Such a hard thing, isn't it? Material-focused people can mess their whole life up. Because what, after all, happens to a spirit of a person who is always trying to get more and show it off so people will love them? 
They're not easy people to be around. They're insecure people to be around. Their relationships are broken down. They're not in the, pre in the present moment with you. They always feel distracted. And Jesus just says, I can free you from that. I can free you. Uh, Lord of the Rings fans, you know, I say that almost every week, and I'm expecting some of you to watch these movies, okay? Lord of the Rings, okay? Jesus is all through the books. Uh, the Return of the King, come on. The Return of the King. But if, you, if you've ever seen those movies or read those books, there's this awful little thing in there. Gollum. Gollum? Gollum was a normal, he, he was a hobbit. He was a normal hobbit. And I want you to think about the whole concept uh, of Tolkien was Watch what riches or the pursuit of wealth and power will do, do to you. So he, he's a nobody. He's just this, this, this country hobbit, and he's got a little life, and he sees this ring, and he thinks, if I could just have that possession, I could be someone. They would see me. I would have power. They would want me. And so he puts this ring on, and what's interesting is he's not the master of the ring. He begins to call the ring... He says, I don't want to know what's going on back there. He goes like this. He goes, he goes, master. And then he goes like this, my precious, you know, my, my precious. But what did, what did the ring do to him? It took him over. They started calling him the creature golem. It began to destroy him. And the whole quest was for the king to lead a band of people to destroy that evil ring and set the world free. And that's the concept of Tolkien when he wrote that book. Don't let the snare of wealth and possessions get you. Be free. Find it in the king. John Piper, who I was reading a while back, said, wealth will become a curse if you do not use it for what God has designed. So what, what is wealth for? What is God's idea for wealth. Now let's do this. If you're poor or you're wealthy, I want to give you a charge. I want to give you something exciting in just a few minutes on how you can go home and look at whatever you have. That you can look at your vehicle or no vehicle or, or the clothing on you, whatever it is you have, and you can begin to use it in a new way because it's not designed to be a security blanket for you and it's not designed to create an identity for you so people will love you. It's designed as a vehicle to show God's love. That's awesome. So here we go. What is God's purpose for possessions? Matthew 6.20. Let's jump into it. He goes like this. So here's the antithesis. Here's the opposite of verse 19. He says, 19, don't stack up stuff. It won't last. 22, 23, don't use it for your identity. Verse 20, here's the positive. But, here we go. What do we do with it then, Lord? But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now stop right there and look up here. Maybe you are. Lay up treasures in heaven. Now, here's the Christian theology that we've all been taught in these, these sermons. Use your money for the kingdom of God, and you'll store it in heaven. Huh? Mm, maybe. It's a definite maybe. But I don't even know what that means. I, that confuses me. Okay, if I use my money... Now, I do think there's a, there's a truth to that. I, I, I think that the, the way we use things here on this earth are going to somehow weave into our life when we're on the new earth in Revelation 21. But, but I want to explain this, and I don't want anybody to lose me. When Matthew in his gospel, in the book of Matthew, when he uses the word heaven, it means God. 
Okay, it's a Jewish thing, don't worry about it, but he means God. And so what we can do with this is we can say, the command of Jesus is lay up treasures with God. Or use your money and your resources, your home and your shoes and your wallets and everything you have to make God known. Yeah, that's biblical. Use your money, your resources to make God known. And all of a sudden now they have a new purpose. And really, guys, when I look at my own life and, and I had a, a family talk with my family, they get freaked out when I start writing sermons because I'm like, guys, we got to meet, we got to talk. We've got to give stuff away. We just got to do it. And they're crazy because they're, they're like, let's do it. Let's bag it up. Let's give it away. This is what Jesus is talking about. I didn't give you possessions and money so you could use them to feel secure in this world. I didn't give you wealth and possessions so you could try to impress people and be loved by people. I'm your security. I love you. Let go of these things and use them so people can see me. That's the concept. And really a life worth living, guys, is using all that we have to change humanity by getting them to God. Those are the moments. Those are the beautiful moments in life. You all know it if you've done it. It's when you give something away, you bless somebody with something. And that's when you feel alive. And I'll tell you when you feel alive with that is when it freaks you out about how you're going to pay rent or something weird. Like you're like, man, now i got to pray. Right. Yes. Just this week this happened, uh, our, our, uh, our Thursday community group. We have a Thursday small group. And we have an amazing couple who opens, open their home, and uh, they're generous. They're generous with their home. They open their home. They have food, and, uh, which, is, which is amazing. And people bring food, and uh, there's something that happens in us. Uh, we pick up a young lady, an amazing young lady, and we, we take her to the, the small group with us. And on our way home, here's what she said, and... I was trying to be a, a real professional and not cry while I was driving because I'm not a good driver anyway. And she, she says this to me. She goes, man, I had, I had the worst week. And she goes like this. All I knew is I've got to get to their house for the small group. And something will happen. That's amazing. What happens to humans when they feel this gracious giving? Uh, last night, we went, uh, we went to Greg's house and... It was kind of a Filipino, Hispanic, us hangout, but it was great. And so we're hanging out, and uh, we're praying together, and we're talking about Jesus together. And there's people that, that are just generously blessing each other left and right. They're bringing food and gifts, and they're just blessing each other. And you felt this, this feeling of care and strength, having these people around you, giving to you, taking care of you, and then you giving back. It makes you feel alive. I've read so many psychologists in their writings this week on the impact that greed and hoarding has on the psyche, on the health of a human being because we're made to share. World War II, the ship Queen Mary, it was a luxury liner. It was a cruise ship, guys until the war broke out. And then it was transformed into a troop carrier. And I remember reading about this and thinking, yeah, you distribute your resources differently when it's wartime to save those around you. 
and it's wartime. People are hurting out there in my house, in my car, in my money. They need to go from a luxury liner to a boat that's useful to carry troops to bring people home. That's what Jesus wants with our possessions. And what does generosity do to us? Well, it creates purpose, man. It creates purpose. When I begin to think that I carry at least one piece to someone else's life, Jesus has blessed me with something, money or car or or a house or whatever. I have the peace to someone else out there through Jesus blessing me. And Jesus says, go take that stuff, get on your knees, pray, get excited to live a life worth living and find someone who needs what you have. I gave it, it's not yours, like you're just a channel, like I give it to you to give. And then when you give, I'll give more, you know? And sometimes I'll get thin on you, but I want you to pray with me in those times. But it creates purpose. We, we carry at least one piece to someone else's life. What does generosity do to us? It frees us from us. Generosity puts us in a bigger picture than just us. I can't be the center of my world. I got to know there's a world out there that needs me. And I got to use my stuff around me to bless them so my world becomes bigger than just me. When I'm locked into just me, it's a terrible reality. How many times have we read about rich people who've had millions and millions and they're, they're, they're absolutely miserable people? Let's freely give. What does generosity do to us? Well, it brings us into the life of Jesus Christ, and that's what I want more than ever. Jesus was all about giving, giving his life so we could find real treasure, spiritual life. And you are never nearer to Jesus than when you're giving. Wouldn't that be an exciting life? Well, how do we get there? How do we detach? Because it's scary, and Jesus understands that. He says, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. I know you're scared of this. Fear not, little flock. How do we get there? 621, watch this. This is the key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen to me, guys. Look up here and listen to me, and we'll shut this down. No, we won't. We'll worship. A greater treasure has to capture our hearts. So we hold so tight to that greater treasure that we begin to release our grip on the lesser treasure of material things. You've got to get a greater treasure. Jesus Christ has to become amazing. He's got to become your all. He's got to, he's got to get to a place that if you lost everything but you still had Jesus, you would make it. He's got to become that sweet. And for some of you, you've heard about him in such a different way. He's not beautiful yet. That's why you got to gather, you got to sing about him, you got to hear him the correct way, you got to see the real Jesus and what he did on the cross and how much he loves you. But the greatest treasure, Jesus, has to become so gorgeous and powerful and beautiful that we look at cars and clothes and shoes and homes and we say, What is this? I have Jesus. I want people to know that treasure, so let me use these lesser little treasures to make him known. And if you know that Jesus treasures you, man, If you know he cares about you to the point that he left heaven's riches, Philippians 2, then he's going to become your greater treasure. Jesus Christ himself is the one treasure who died to purchase you, and now he calls you his riches. Bathe in that. Love that. Worship him. Enjoy that. 
And so we look around us and we say, what are these things? Yeah, it's going to change your lifestyle. But sacrificing, guys, and by the way, sacrificing means it costs us something. Sacrificing shows people that we treasure Christ above the things we're sacrificing, and that's what the world needs to see. We who are more prosperous than 98% of the world are called above everyone to find some way to relieve someone else's suffering through the blessings of God. Now, I, don't, I don't think many of us are looking for the meaning of life. I, I think most of us are looking for ways to feel truly alive. And I think this is one of the keys that Jesus wants us to learn as he calls us to follow him because that's what he did. So how do we respond to this? Well, if I've, I've learned anything from Francis, it's that I'm not going to plan this out too much. You're going to have to flow with this. You're going to have to get on your knees at home, and you're going to have to look at your stuff, and you're going to have to pray. You're going to say, God, bring me people and help me to let go of these things and be my greater treasure. So part of this is yours. But I want to say a couple things on how we can begin to respond to this. One, Jesus has to become your greater treasure. Are you walking with him? Are you reading the Bible? Are you worshiping with us? Are you joyous? Are you with other people through the week talking about Jesus? Is he your all yet? Be with him and celebrate him. Two, be intentional about generosity. You know what I love about the Lord's Day and I love about these small groups? Is they give me times where I am intentionally going to a place looking for people who need help. I love that. You see, when it's spontaneous, we can lose it in the whirlwind of life. But if I go to church, if I go to a small group, if I gather, then I can look around me with this idea of I want to be generous. I want to hear about needs, and I want to go home and say, man, how can I feel that need? Be intentional about your generosity. Gather with God's people and listen. Three, be involved with our ministries. You know, next weekend after church, we're going to have a meeting about the food pantry. We're going to start a food pantry for the poor people in the mission. Get after it. Be involved with that. Get a vision for something huge with that. We have a second-hand store across the street. The possibilities are endless if we staff that thing up with volunteers. All kinds of ways to be involved with our ministries. Uh, there's an email in the bulletin. Find a way to contact us through that. I'd love to sit down and talk to you about that. And lastly, man, guys, you walk these streets, you drive these, these roads, think of new ways that we can be generous as a church and talk to me. I want to birth new visionary methods to be generous with all that God has given us so we can change human life. Amen? We're going to go into a time of prayer now so we can respond to this before the Lord. Let's pray together.